0: Well, marriage, it's the dream of almost every person alive. The dream looks something like this. There's this wonderful, relational, romantic courtship of awe. And then it's followed by the perfect, I mean the perfect wedding. And then you get a few weeks, a few months, a few years, if you're lucky, of pure marital bliss. That's followed by the uh, perfunctory 2.5 kids. Babies as cute as can be grow up to be handsome and cute and, and beautiful. You know, they're athletic and talented and straight-A students, right? This is, this is kind of the, the dream, so to speak. Uh, the reality is, is that life isn't like that. You know, problems come in because that's just how life is. Difficulties occur in our lives and in our marriages. Sometimes it even starts in the courtship. Sometimes it happens, problems happen in the wedding or even in the wedding reception. That's what happened with these folks. Take a look. All right, hopefully that wasn't any video footage from your wedding or your reception. All right, and hopefully that doesn't occur if you're not yet married at your future wedding. But the point here is that problems occur in every, may not be the wedding, but for sure in, in every marriage. You know, that's why, that's why they call it the honeymoon. A little tidbit of information for you. Do you know in 1552, an author by the name of Richard Hulay coined the phrase honeymoon to try and depict, you know, this time, this magical time right after marriage. But I like another author in his definition of, uh, of honeymoon, Samuel Johnson, he wrote this. Honeymoon is the first month after marriage when there's nothing but tenderness and pleasure. You know, that's why if you're on vacation, you run into a, a couple on their honeymoon. What do you what do you say to your friends or your spouse? You go, ah, right? And then what you do? You want to do that right now, don't you? Let's hear. One, two, three, ah. Yeah, now you're prepared for your next vacation when you run into a, a couple. You know, and why do we say ah? Because we've got this moment, this magical moment of tenderness and pleasure. Ah. And then, ah, it's gonna end pretty quickly here. <laughs> See, the reality is is that with every marriage does come a honeymoon. But after every honeymoon, the honeymoon comes to an end. Now, Rach, I'm going to have you come up, and she's going to share a couple of real stories, kind of sad stories from people's lives of honeymoons that uh, came to an end.
1: I'm going to read two stories of people whose honeymoons have ended, and now they're having a hard time dealing with their lives and even just with the realities of their marriages I'm sure most of you who are married will relate to one or maybe even both of these stories. They may not be an exact fit to what you've gone through, but I'm sure a time will come to mind when you were ready to throw in the towel. Let's start with, well, let's call him Tom. Tom. Tom was struggling and ready to pack it in. No, it wasn't that he had been dealt some disaster that had left him devastated and alone. Actually, from the outside, his life looked pretty good. He had a bright, beautiful, intelligent wife, three young kids under the age of seven. His job, it was never boring or mundane, yet Tom toyed with the idea of quitting his own life. It simply wasn't enjoyable anymore. He and Sarah seemed to function with a low-grade sense of irritation toward one another all the time. And their schedules, they were ridiculously demanding. Their children, they seemed to be in constant need of attention. Tom felt that there was seldom a day in which he didn't upset Sarah in some way. He was tired of working hard and having little to show for it. He couldn't find much reason to continue. And now there's Cindy. Her feelings and her thoughts, what she really, really feels, she's stuffed that down over time. The only time she really allows herself to think about what matters is when everything's quiet and she can't ignore them anymore. Cindy lay in bed awake. She was looking at Mac. She was trying to understand that this was still the same man who had swept her off her feet. As a tear coursed down her cheek, she remembered Mac's infectious smile, his sense of humor. She thought about how Mac had the ability to make the simple things enjoyable. Now, he just seemed constantly distracted and frustrated. He spent his time watching sports or hiding behind his computer. Going to bed was particularly hard for Cindy. She longed for just a little bit of tenderness. Before, they caved into exhaustion, slept, but there wasn't any tenderness. Mac would crumble into bed, sullen once again, mumble goodnight, give her her perfunctory kiss, and roll over into sleep. Night after night, Cindy would lie awake, searching for a reason to continue. Now, somehow, someway, every marriage becomes a struggle. Life after the honeymoon is radically different than the honeymoon itself. The person you love to play with, you now live and work with. The person who was once your escape from responsibility is now one of your greatest responsibilities. Spending time together is radically different than living together. Reason for attraction, now they've become sources of irritation. We are all confronted with the fact that in some way, our marriage is not what it was meant to be, or even what we dreamt it would be.
0: Thanks. Those couple of stories, they probably hit too close to home with some of us that are here today. You see, the reality is, is early on in marriage, we realize that that we're a sinner, And we realize that we've married a sinner. Now, Rachel is the exception to that. Okay, let me get that out there. Yeah, she does not yet know that I'm a sinner. But uh, she will. She will at some point in the near future. But see, the reality is that. It's exactly that. You quickly realize that there is sin just infested in this marriage So when your marriage dreams hit the fan, the question I have for you is where do you look? Where do you turn? What becomes your solid foundation? What gives you reason to continue when those little nagging things just seem to be accumulating day after day, week after week? Or what happens when those big problems just leave you devastated? What produces, this is a key question, what produces a godly, healthy sturdy marriage of love and unity and understanding that's what we want to tackle today and we believe that a godly healthy marriage of love unity and understanding is not rooted in romance there's nothing wrong with romance but the world will tell you that your marriage is rooted in it but we believe that that's not the case we believe it's rooted in worship it's in putting christ first in your marriage now, over our 20 years, we have found that there are, are three ways in our lives that we've learned to put Christ first and worship him in our lives. And it hasn't always been easy, right? I mean, there's, there's good days, there's bad days, there's good years, and, and there's bad years. But these are three ways that we'd like to share with you that uh, we feel we've been, been learning from the Lord on over these years. And so, Rachel, would you come on up, back up, and uh, introduce uh, the first way for us?
1: So our first point today is worship Christ as creator. Our primary text for this point is John 1, 1 through 3. If you haven't already, pull out your outline and you can begin to fill in the blanks. That's the first one there, creator. And now I'll read John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made now if this concept of christ is creator is new for you let me read a couple other texts that clearly outline this matter i'll read and you can follow along revelation 14 7 he said in a loud voice fear god and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Psalm 95, 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And lastly, Colossians one sixteen. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him.:
0: Thanks for reading those. Those are just some powerful verses proclaiming Christ as our creator, and proclaiming our desire and our need to worship Him in that way. Now when I look at John 1 through3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And that includes the gift. Of our marriage, our marriages. Now, when we talk about worship, I need to unpack this just a little bit because when I say worship, we're talking about every human being and what they live for. Every human being lives for something. Uh, Behind everything we do is some kind of hope. We're in some constant pursuit of life, and there's something that we attach our identity, our meaning, and our purpose to. You say, well, what does this have to do with, with marriage? Well, this insight has everything to do with how a marriage operates. Because what happens too often in marriages is this meaning, identity, and purpose that we're supposed to get vertically from the creator in worship of him. We end up going to our spouse for horizontally and the creation. And we put our meaning, identity, and purpose in the creation in our spouse. That's really the root of most of our marital problems. And so we believe that marriages need to start, they need to grow, and they need to get fixed vertically before they ever get fixed horizontally. We have to deal with what drives us before we can deal with one another. So, to that end, let's talk about a marriage that's built on worship. As, as we just saw, Christ is the creator, He's the creator of love, He's the giver of the gift of, of worship. And you see that Christ is creator. He created every aspect of who we are, every aspect of who you are, your personhood. He is the one that did your hardwiring, He's the one that programmed your entire hardwiring. Now, did you know when we were created, we were all created in only two different kinds of people? Yeah, we were created as either planners or non planners. How many of you are planners? Raise your hand. Yeah, good. I see those hands. Yeah, Don't worry. We'll get, the, um, we'll get the, you know, all the outlines filled in. We'll get you done on time. Get you whatever you've planned for next. Okay. Did you know we were created in only two different kinds of people? Yeah, risk takers and play it safers. How many of you are play it safers? Raise your hand. Yeah, it feels good to take a risk, doesn't it? In front of all these people, get your hand up there. Yeah, it does. Do you know, in this world, there are only two types of people created. There are rules breakers and rules keepers. Okay, rules keepers, you guys go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, I told you what to do. You obeyed. Do we have any rules breakers that just raise your hand because that's who you are? Yes, some of you are out there. See, that's the reality. God created us to be who we are. He determined how tall you'd be, your innate personality, your natural gifts, the tone of your skin, your natural degree of athleticism, whether you're mechanical, analytical, or relational. You didn't choose any of these things. All of these things were chosen by a divine artist with an infinite creativity. Amazing. But see, there are moments in our marriage, if we're honest, One and our selfishness. We want to climb up on the throne of the creator and we want to create our spouse in our image. At least in an image of somebody that we can live a little easier with. This is hypothetical, Rachel. This has nothing to do with our marriage. Just want to make sure we got all that straight in there. But here's what happens. The relational wife wants to turn a mechanical husband into her clone. Uh, the analytical husband uh, you know he wants to recreate his more emotionally wired wife into a dispassionate thinker like himself rachel wants to turn her relational husband into somebody who can fix anything around the house without using super glue or duct tape right <laughs> actually works on most things if you ever if you ever try it The husband allows himself to be irritated by the screechiness of his his wife's voice. Or the wife becomes impatient because her husband is so slow in everything. I see elbows flying all over the auditorium. I I see them even in Bartlett flying here. Okay, Why is that? Because we recognize in our married lives in subtle or not so subtle ways that we all question the Creator. And when we do that, listen to this. We dishonor God, and we disrespect our spouse. We end up criticizing the other for choices that he or she didn't make. Now, when we talk about creation, there's also a group of you, I can see out there, there's a group of you that think creation really looks like this. Now, I'm not saying which group it is that's out there, okay? But, but that's not the case either. See, Jesus created each of us out of his love, in his image, and with a very special touch. Jesus created you out of his love and in his image and with a very special touch. It's not just a bumper sticker. You matter to God, and he has a wonderful plan for your life and for the life of your marriage because he created you. And so you see, in your marriage, there is another way. There is another way to relate to one another as a married couple. It it took us a long time to learn each other. We're still in that process. But we can celebrate the creator and look at one another with wonder and joy. And you can get to a place when you look at your spouse and you see the creator's glory that you feel blessed by the ways that you're different. So you're saying, okay, Eric, but, but how do we do this? How do we do this? How, how do we worship Christ as creator pragmatically in our lives? Well, I want to give you two quick, quick ways. The first is back to my, my point about the vertical. You know, worshiping Christ and creator in regards to your spouse starts with you developing fully, growing in your relationship with the Lord and all the disciplines that are part of that. Because what happens then is all of a sudden the fruits of the spirit are more evident in your life. And what marriage would not be better with more joy and love and peace? Think of what more patience and goodness and kindness would mean in the worship of Christ in your marriage. Add in some faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And before you know it, you're worshiping the creator and honoring the created in your spouse like never before. Now, if you want to find out more about how to take the fruits of the Spirit and integrate them into your marriage, uh, Pastor Jim and his wife Sue did a message series in 2008 called Fruit Smoothie, Blending the Fruit of God's Spirit in Your Marriage. We have it online, uh, audio. I encourage you to go and take a listen uh, to that series. Secondly, or the second way you implement this is by praying specifically for eyes to see your spouse in a more worshipful light. For me, I do this You know, when there's just a heavy season, I'm praying, if I know we've just got a lot of things going on in our lives, like we kind of do right now, I'm praying more specifically to be able to see the creativity and the wonder of how God created my spouse, how he created Rachel. You know, at the beginning of a day, that's one of my prayer points on my journal, is to pray that I'd have eyes to see the wonder of how God created Rachel. And then I also find myself praying before tough conversations, Lord, help me to have the right mindset and eyes to see how to to tackle this issue. And I'll tell you what, when I fail, when I don't come to the Lord in prayer on those issues, that's when the difficulties come. That's when the fights break out. That's when there's, you know, disagreements at at a higher degree. I want to share some applications with you on this first point. If you're not married in all of these points about making Christ the creator, worshiping Christ the creator, realize the stronger you are in your walk with the Lord, the more prepared you'll be for marriage and the more your eyes will be open to the right partner when God brings them to mind. Second, if you're newly married, be prepared for that first difficult season. When it arrives and it will, put into practice, into perspective the things we're talking about here. If your marriage is good, ask yourself as a couple, what's next? What's next? What's next in our life? What's next level in putting Christ first in our lives? And if your marriage is struggling, application for you on this point is, remember the old phrase, the couple that prays together stays together. Worshiping God is the start of healing of your marriage. All right, how do you put Christ first in your marriage? You start by worshiping Christ as creator. Secondly, you worship Christ as king. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy 6, or we'll have it up on the screens for you. Verse 11, this is Paul writing to uh, his disciple, uh, his apprentice, Timothy, if you will. And so down in verse 11 of chapter 6, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Now, stop right there. Uh, You don't have verse 9 up on the screens. But if you have your Bibles open, turn back to verse 9. Uh, 9 is what the this is that Paul is referring to. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So what Paul is saying to Timothy here—it sounds a lot like you know American suburbia in 2012—that we have this pursuit of the best cars and the best houses and the best things for our kids, and take the best vacations, and you know all these types of things, which in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad. But what Paul is describing here is the. World Worship of such things. And so again, in verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, and it is a fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Then jumping down to uh, verse 16. Talking about the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Wow, what a powerful last verse there. Talking about the kingdom of God. To him be honor and might forever. That's the king of kings and the lord of lords we're talking about. That's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. And when you're a part of the kingdom of God, that's what we're to do is worship Christ as king. But there's a reality in our lives that we're all a part of a kingdom. One of two different kingdoms, either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self, which Paul told Timothy to flee from. You know what that looks like? This is a small kingdom where personal happiness reigns supreme. You know, in this kingdom of self, we live for this kingdom. Our decisions, our thoughts, our plans, our actions, our fun, you know, our words, our actions, our decisions, they're all driven by personal desire. You know, we know what we want from people, how to get the right people around us, you know, how to seek to surround ourselves, the people that are going to serve our kingdom purposes. I'm hoping that that's not too convicting for any of you, but it is for our culture for sure. But there is this other kingdom, which makes such a huge juxtaposition here. It's the kingdom of God. This is a huge kingdom where God's will and his glory reign supreme. In this kingdom, we live for, it's about God's plans and purpose and desires in our lives. We seek to help others and serve them. We seek to surround ourselves with people that will help us grow in our relationship with the Lord. You see, in this type of a kingdom, we have a... Our marriage and our life is is an unfolding drama that's written by a loving, sovereign king. And he wants us, as individuals, he wants us as married couples to be serving in a part of this kingdom. Now, when you think of a king, you know, think back to King Lear, King Arthur, King Elvis, okay? What do these kings typically want from their subjects, you know, I think you boil down to three things: you know time, talents and treasures. And I think it's not a bad way to evaluate whether we're in the kingdom of self or we're in the kingdom of Christ, whether we're worshiping Christ as king in our marriages. Uh, so let me look first at the, at the time. You know, this looks like, uh, the evaluation of this looks like you know, how much time do you spend in God's word and in prayer? And serving and worshiping him, going on on go teams and and taking advantage of opportunities to serve other people individually and then as a couple. You know, when you evaluate time, it's what does it look like in your home on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-by-month basis? Are you talking about godly things? Deuteronomy 6 has a great passage about what a home looks like that's worshiping God. You see, as you worship and love this King Jesus, there's a natural outpouring of love in your home with your spouse. You're talking about these things at dinner, over coffee. You're texting each other encouragement, sending emails. You know, you're just you're having a relationship with God that comes out in your relationship with each other. In the time, take a look. Evaluate which kingdom you're in based on the amount of time that you've spent on godly things and godly matters over the past week, over the past month. Second, talents. There's two different aspects of talents, using your gifts, your abilities uh, to serve the Lord and his kingdom. The first is within the local church, okay, because we are the body of Christ, and we're all to come together and serve. And when we do that, we're just a a well-oiled machine. And so hopefully you're using your gifts somewhere within the body, and maybe even as a couple, You know, maybe it's serving in Kids World or Usher Greeter or student ministries, community groups, going on a go team, one of our community impact ministries. But there's a second aspect of this, and that's what is your your full-time job, so to speak, right now. What has King Jesus called you to do nine to five in your life right now? Are you a business person? Are you an accountant? Has King Jesus called you to be a stay-at-home mom or maybe a student or a truck driver? Maybe King Jesus has called you to be a football player. Probably not too many here. But I, I heard an interview uh, recently on Sports Talk here in Chicago where Brandon Marshall, uh, who's the, the new wide receiver this year from the Chicago Bears, was being interviewed by a couple of guys. And uh, they asked him, they said, you know, Brandon, uh, you've had a, a sorry past. And that's, that's to put it lightly. He's been arrested a bunch of times, domestic abuse and such. And yet when he's come to Chicago, he's been like this model citizen on and off the field. And so they asked him, so why, what's different? Is it a new coach? Is it, uh, you know, a, a just a new friends, a new area, kind of a fresh chapter in your life? And Brandon said this. He said, you know what, guys? A year ago, I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And my life, yeah, go ahead and give a hand to that. And my life has now changed. So on the football field and outside of the football field, I now serve King Jesus. Well, you know what? That's what we're called to do in our lives as well. And when we do that, you know what the announcer said there? They said, we've noticed. We've noticed. And when we do that in our lives, the people around us notice, and more importantly, our spouse notices. When we're serving our spouse as the the husband, as the wife in our full-time capacity or in a major portion of who we are, Okay, treasures. It's been said that your commitment to Christ can be judged by your calendar and by your checkbook. Okay, let's talk about the checkbook. Let's, let's get down and dirty for just a minute. Okay, couples, hold on to your seats. Not going to get too bad here, but I got to ask you, couples, married couples, how are you doing at giving your treasures, at being on the same page at committing your treasures to the Lord's work? How are you doing with that? More importantly, are you on the same page, and is it a biblical page of obedience? If not, it's time to start praying about it. It's time to have some tough conversations. It's time to maybe sign up for Financial Peace University. And by the way, I'm not saying this because Christ's community needs your money. The reality is we do need your money because that's how God's established the church through the generosity of his people. And we love to keep the lights on and have the same quality and quantity of ministries. You know, I love to get a paycheck every now and again. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a matter of the heart. We're talking about worshiping Christ as king. So as a subject, how are you doing it, doing that as a couple in your finances? Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For us, this was not an easy thing to start in our marriage And we had to have some long conversations about how to put Christ first in this way. And Rachel's going to share a story of how God really encouraged us um, to, to put Christ first in this way. Rachel.
1: Right after we got married, Eric and I talked about being obedient to Christ with our finances. We took a Ron Blue course, which is actually the Financial Peace University of the day, and we read a book from Larry Burkett. We felt pretty good about our plan. We both grew up with not a ton of money and never really understanding tithing or putting it into practice. So this step of obedience together was a big step. Well, six months into our marriage and our uh, obedience plan, the Lord surprised us just a bit and blessed us at the same time when I became pregnant with our oldest son, Luke. Nine months later, Luke was born even though we had planned on waiting seven years to have our first child. This took a little bit of getting used to. However, God is king, and we knew that his plan was good. Luke had a little bit of a rough start to life. Uh, After 26 hours of hard labor, he had to be delivered emergency C-section. And if you'd ask Eric, he would say that the delivery was something like the exorcist meets the alien, If you remember those two old movies. Luke had a little bit of jaundice and some significant lung problems and he ended up spending a little bit of extra time in the hospital. As a young married couple in school with multiple part-time jobs and school insurance, we didn't have a ton of insurance coverage. When the bills started coming in for Luke, we really were shocked. After a couple years, we paid off the bills little by little. And then on Good Friday, after Luke was um, about two and a half, we received a bill for roughly $5,000. It was from a collection agency that said that they'd been trying to track us down. And we had until Monday, which was the day after Easter, to pay this bill off or they would take legal action. Well, Eric and I prayed because we didn't have the money. We told one person about our situation, and they definitely didn't have the money to pay this off. And so we thought, okay, we gotta pray about this. We took the weekend, and then Eric would call on Monday to see if the collection agency would extend grace or work out a payment plan or something. I do have to admit to you that our conversations that weekend, we did have levels of frustration with God. Here we were really trying to be obedient to God with our finances. We couldn't understand why this was happening. Still, we were determined to stay in obedience to Christ. And what a great weekend, Easter, to really do this. Well, Monday came, Eric called, and to his amazement and really our total shock, the bill had been paid in full just that morning to the exact penny. We obviously didn't pay it, and the person we told, they didn't pay it. All the insurance money was way past coming through. We really still, to this day, have no idea how that happened. Early in our marriage, this was a huge sign from God saying, I will provide for you when you worship me as king. I will care for you when you care about me and obey me. To this day, this drives our marriage. Sure, we're a little bit older, a little bit more established, but now we have three teenagers. So we need to trust God, I think, even more. I'm an interior decorator, and when times are slow like they are now in this economy, I have to trust God. In good times and in times of struggle, as a couple, we need to trust God. We need to commit to worshiping Christ as king in all areas of our life even in our finances.
0: Thanks, Rachel. I remember that whole situation like it was, it was yesterday. And it's not that you know everybody will have these bills paid like we did, but God will encourage you if you take those steps of obedience. So here's some application for the second point. If you're not married, make sure that you look for a spouse who is willing to give their time, talents, and treasures to the Lord's work. And not that they will have arrived or are perfect, but it's a matter of their heart. Are they willing to submit to Christ's lordship? Make sure that Christ is first in your dating relationship. And by the way, if you happen to miss uh, the first week of our series here, the I Do series, miss a little, miss a lot around here at Christ Community. Uh, Pastor Jim and Sue uh, gave the first week uh, with a real strong emphasis uh, on our singles of how to apply, um, you know, putting Christ first in your relationships. So be sure to take a look at that uh, online newly married application for you start new disciplines start new practices start submitting to his kingship now and it'll make your journey of putting christ first in your marriage all the much easier as you go along if your marriage is good an application there is just think about how can you encourage other people maybe it's leading a couples group now maybe it's finding some ways to mentor other couples or get involved in leadership in our financial peace university and if your marriage is struggling Talk about these matters together. Pray about them. And begin in each area to submit to Christ the King. So how do you put Christ first in your marriage? First as you worship Christ as creator. Second, you worship Christ as king. And lastly, you worship Christ as savior. Our text for this comes from Revelation 5. And this is John who's writing here. And he got a glimpse. Can you imagine this? He got a glimpse of heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to have a glimpse of heaven? Here's what he saw. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Now, stop right there for just a second. And I recognize that Revelation is about symbolism and that these are symbolic numbers. But work with me for just a second here, okay? You you mathematicians, what's ten thousand times ten thousand? That's 100 million angels. That's a third of the size of the United States of America. Encircling the throne of our Savior Jesus and worshiping him. Can you imagine such a scene? How awesome is that? And here's what they sang. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and praise. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that unbelievable? Now, I don't have 100 million people here Although I know I do have some angels in the crowd today, okay? But I do have uh, several hundred, probably 1,100 of you or so that are here. And I've got Blackberry Creek and DeKalb and Bartlett campuses as well. So on a loud voice, I'm not going to make you sing, don't worry. But with a loud voice, I want you to sing or say loudly what the angels did there, what they're even saying now in heaven, starting with worthy, okay? Here we go, let me hear you. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, give me here an amen, huh? Amen, yeah. We were created to worship Christ as our Savior. And that not only applies to when we're in heaven, it applies to us on earth. That only applies to us as individuals. It applies to us as a couple. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't take long to realize when you're married that you've married a sinner. The reality with Rachel is it took her about 4.26 seconds with me. But when you do, it's how you respond to this discovery that will determine the character and the quality of your union. You see, you can't let your responses to your spouse in difficult moments be driven by hurt or self-righteousness. You can't keep some, you know, ledger of rights and wrongs, some, you know, cosmic Excel spreadsheet that, okay, when she does something wrong or he does something wrong, you, you make these tallies or right, and you owe me this or you owe me that. No, that, that doesn't work. I can't even imagine what a system like that would, would look like. See, our response must be driven by worship with our spouse. You say, okay, Eric, yeah, that sounds like church talk. What does that mean? You know, does it mean that uh, when Rachel tells me, you know, that's the fifth week in a row you haven't taken out the garbage. That's okay, dear. Majesty, worship. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, it means when you celebrate Christ as Savior, you're confronted with the reality of how much you are in desperate need of his grace. And that makes it impossible for you to look at your spouse as the only sinner in the room or more of a sinner than you. The fact is that no one gives grace better than someone realizes how much they need grace. So instead of throwing mistakes in your spouse's face, you're ready to encourage your spouse when they fail and restore them when they fall. And this isn't much different from what God did with each of us. All of us are sinners for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin is death, spiritual death. We've blown it. We make mistakes over and over again. It's in our DNA. But God, in His grace and His love and His mercy, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross and take all of our sins, take all of our mistakes, take all of our garbage, and die on our behalf. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, we not only have all eternity with Him in heaven, but we have meaning, identity, and purpose. On this earth. That's the grace and love and mercy of our God through Jesus. And if there's anyone here today that has never put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'm going to tell you something. You can't put Christ first in your marriage if you've never put Christ first in your own life. And when we close in just a minute here in prayer, at all of our campuses, head to the Welcome Center. And a host or hostess there will lead you you in a discussion and prayer of how to place your faith and trust in Christ and give you a next steps packet to begin this journey of putting Christ first in your life. And then if you're married, it'll translate to your marriage. But if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you've accepted his grace, the gift of grace, and you're married, then here's what you need to do right now. You need to remember the grace and mercy and love that God gave to you through Jesus the Savior. And you need to pay that forward to your spouse. When they blow it and they will, you need to pay that grace and mercy forward. And you know why? It's the same reason for you as it is for me. Because I need the grace and mercy of my wife to be paid forward to me. And in our case, I need it much more than she does. Pay it forward, friends. It's a gift. And it really sums up what it means to put Christ first in our marriage. It's worshiping Christ as our creator. It's worshiping Christ as king. And it's worshiping Christ as savior. Now, Rachel's going to come up with a closing illustration that kind of brings all of this together. Rachel.
1: As we draw our time to a close, I am going to leave you with one final illustration. It's really a simple illustration. Think of a triangle. You and your spouse, you're on the bottom, and then God's at the top. What happens? What happens when you draw closer to God? You draw closer together as a couple as well. It's amazing how that happens. God gives us this model for a reason. That will be our prayer for each of you. Now I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this time that we've had together. I thank you for each person that's here, young, old, married, single, wherever we're at, Father. I just pray that we would put these practices into play in our lives and I pray that we would put you first. That's the place that you deserve. That's where you need to be in each of our lives and I pray that we would do that this week, Father. Thank you for being the ultimate example and sending your son to die for us. Be with us this week, Father, and help us to love each other the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.